Welcome back everyone, my name's Rugby Reg and this is episode 177 of the Green and Gold Rugby Podcast. Well, guess what everyone? We've got a sponsor. Yep, for all those who have loved loved our Rugby World Cup Legend Series, well, later this year, the Queensland Rugby Union are holding another of their famous long lunches. And this year the theme is World Cup winners. So it's a great fit with what we're doing here at the podcast. We're focused on the Aussie World Cup winners, but the QRU have brought in a couple of international guests. So Graham Henry, legend, coach of the 2011 World Champion All Blacks, will be there. As will Springbok World Champion from the 2017, Bobby Skinstad, the back rower, a real character. Uh, there's also got to be Aussies there as well, and, and two of the best wingers that I've ever seen. Obviously from that 1991 team, David Campisi, and then from 99, Betty Tune. Uh, they'll be there as guests. And I guess you could say to counter Sir Graham... They've also included Bob Dwyer from that 91 team, the coach of that 91 team, uh, and, and just a fantastic analyst of the game. So, look, I can speak firsthand for these events. These are fantastic events to get along to. So tickets can be purchased online at redsrugby.com.au or via the link on our homepage. So get amongst it. So we thank the QIU for their support for the rest of the series. And this week we have another great show for you. Uh, we've finished with the backs. We've heard from Matty Burke, who covered off fullback for us. Robbie Edgerton did the wings. Dan Herbert obviously covered both centers positions for us. Michael Lyon, a couple of weeks ago, was just fantastic at fly half. And then, as you'd expect, Dick Farr-Jones wrapped it all up beautifully for the backs last week, covering off the scrum half spot. But now we move into the forwards. And tonight we've got the back row. We're going to start with uh, the flanker position on the side of the scrum there. And it's a thrill to have our next guest on the show. He was a feature of that 1987 team that... Uh, that uh, lost out to France and, and then Wales in the third or fourth playoff uh, in that inaugural World Cup back in 1987. But he was back again four years later and was part of our world champion team and an integral part of it as well. He is a member of the Wallaby Hall of Fame and I, I struggle to think of anyone uh, of uh, any Wallaby in my lifetime who showed greater passion for that green and gold jersey. So an absolute pleasure to welcome to the show Simon Portovan. Simon, thanks for being here. Reg, great to be aboard. Uh, mate, look, we just want to touch on a few things. Firstly, that 87 World Cup, uh, the inaugural World Cup. You guys went into it as uh, 86 Splitter Slow Cup winners, 84 Grand Slam. You would have felt pretty confident about uh, taking off that title as well in 87? Yeah, despite being a trans-Tasman um, World Cup, that one, there was a lot of pressure on us as an Australian team being the uh, red-hot favourite. So... Uh, now eventually, um, the semi-final at Concord Oval didn't work out um, just, but uh, that's the way that's the way the um, tournament panned out. And um, it was interesting days back then because clearly the uh, the team all worked, and uh, Alan Jones was a uh, radio host, so we had to sort of really plan our trainings around Alan's uh, radio uh, program so uh, trainings would happen in the afternoon so most of the players in those days were going to work in the morning train at um, at lunchtime and afternoon and then go back to work so that was their gig. 
Okay, well, let's move forward to 91. We want to focus on the positive here, but we're lucky to have you in 91, correct, Porter? Did you not retire a couple of years prior to the to the World Cup that year? Uh, multiple multiple um, <laughs> retirements, yes. So, Dane Nelly, Melbourne, yes, uh, a bit of that going on. But it was more from the point of view of um, uh, 1988. Yeah, I thought uh, writing was on the wall and um, Bob Dwight didn't picked me uh, as captain, so I thought it was sort of time to exit, but um, a bit of a taste of the uh, the All Blacks, especially um, Buck Shelf and the boys down at Kujo were playing for Ram against the All Blacks, which was a, right, a okay. tremendous experience. Yep. Uh, that got me back into the mode of, OK, um, I've been tired 43 days, it's time to sort of get back in the, uh, in the real stuff, and Bob Dwyer <laughs> gave me an opportunity to come back into the... Wallaby side, which I grappled with both hands. I'm so glad I did. So, you know, 1990, the following year, with the um, the Wallaby trip to New Zealand, I'd been through New Zealand in 80, 82 for a uh, 12 game tour for an, an 86 for a eight game, eight week tour. Um, 90, I just couldn't do it from a work perspective, and uh, and stepped back from that one. Still played for New South Wales. Still. Um, was available from the wings. That didn't happen, but uh, clearly in 1991, um, the opportunity was there to uh, to really put my name forward for a uh, final shot of the title. And after 1987, it was really something I had a burning burning desire to um, basically nail that uh, World Cup in 1991. Well, that's fantastic. Now, before you got to the World Cup, you played a, a domestic series. You defeated Wales, and I think Miller started that game. But you were back in the next test. And I, I spoke to Nick Farr-Jones last week about this. One of the standouts from those tests, particularly England, but also carried through versus New Zealand the next week, was that back row, and entire, indeed the forward pack, but that back row combination of yourself, Willie O, and Timmy Gavin, who we would unfortunately lose before the World Cup, was really on top of their game. That was a, a, such a, a fine combination of a back row. Someone you must have enjoyed that experience. Yeah, it was, it was a magic, magic time. And uh, Willie O was uh, just uh, an exceptional uh, missile uh, to be playing with. A uh, lovely, lovely guy, but um, incredible um, hitter on the field, both in attack and defence. And Timmy Gavin... You know, one of the uh, one of the great number eights of the game, and um, you know, clearly uh, for him, his uh, year finished in um, in despair, um, doing his knee playing a club game. But for me, it was interesting too, because I've always always played left and right yeah. all through my career. So my first uh, game at um, at open side was uh, marking Michael Jones uh, <laughs> playing against New Zealand, and. I tell you what, at the end of that game, I knew I knew I'd had a game, and and it was just a, a fantastic challenge to uh, take the preeminent uh, back rower in the world at the time on in an open side role, and playing open side to playing left and right was a much bigger step up in um, the aerobic um, effort you had to put in the field. I was going to ask you, so what was the difference to your game? Was it more uh, greater awareness of having to be on the ball uh, all the time, or? Uh, playing open side, yeah, yeah, really. Being being on the ball, um, a bit of a different different style of game to where you know players on the ball now because it's uh, even more so uh, players built for strength across the ball. Uh, clearly, we're there. We did a lot more running um, yeah. back then than um, potentially now because you're a bit more sort of organised in defensive patterns to where the uh, the ball is. 
Yeah, sure. Now, let's move forward into the World Cup, and I want to go straight to the, that quarterfinal versus Ireland, which has got that very famous um, finish, which we went through with Michael Lyon a couple of weeks ago. But I remember the start of the game was pretty significant too. I think your opposite number might have been Phil Matthews, or at least he was the, uh, the captain and back rower for Ireland, um, decided to take it to Willie O from the kickoff. Can you recall that incident? <laughs> Yeah, well, he he made a very bad mistake because Willie is a very religious person, and um, and these these days is a uh, minister in um, in the Methodist Church, I think it is uh, in Tonga, and um, so Willie Willie's great attributes in life was that uh, he never swore, he never drank, uh, he slept a lot of lot of the time, but the one thing he didn't do with Willie O was was hit him because. Um, Phil Matthews made that mistake, and within within a millisecond, uh, there were three Irishmen laid out by Willie O because he could he could uh, fight. And uh, I said to Phil Matthews, "Look, mate, bad call, buddy. <laughs> you, you picked the wrong guy. To, picked the wrong guy to uh, start to upset." So um, Willie O sorted them out very quickly, uh, and uh, probably. Went and prayed that night and uh, asked for forgiveness for, uh, for uh, laying out the Irish players. Whereas we all cheered, that was great. Look, uh, the next game was that that famous All Blacks semi final, and you've talked about your passion for playing the All Blacks. So this game, I'm sure, holds special significance for you, as much for the the whether you call it dominance, but the way that Australian team played. The first half was remarkable, probably more ball in hand, but that second half, particularly in defence. Yeah, and you know, historically it was the first time you'd ever seen Australia playing New Zealand outside of Australia yeah, and New yeah. Zealand. So it had significance then. It had significance for us because we'd, we'd won in Sydney, we'd lost in New Zealand, um, you know, terrible conditions, and um, you know, Michael Liner had an off day with with a boot, but probably the best loss we'd had for many years, losing to uh, the the ABs in Auckland <coughs> that year. So for that game. Um, you know, there's no doubt that the side at the end of the Irish Irish game, yeah, we were blessed with uh, the outcome. We, we we got out of out of jail, and we uh, for those on the field at the time, uh, it was a very um, deep dark moment uh, when Gordon Hamilton scored. So to have that um, redemption to play the ABs the following week was was very special to all of us. Um, it was a incredibly um, focused and intense week of preparation and there was a very big separation between the backs and the forwards that week because the forwards knew they had a um, big job to do against the All Blacks and uh, likewise the backs uh, had to work their magic but we, we worked um, uh, in many ways I sort of described it the, uh, the forwards went to a cave and um, and shut themselves in that cave and uh, ate uh, Eight uh, raw meat for uh, that week. Uh, it was it was a, a very incredible uh, preparation, uh, even to the extent that uh, the Catholics amongst us, we had a, um, a Irish Catholic Catholic police priest came to the hotel and said mess with the boys uh, for the next day. So we left uh, no no um, stone unturned in that preparation. Um, the intensity got so high during the week that uh, there was an opposed training session at Trinity College where uh, the our rest of squad and the reserves started to uh, get a bit niggly with uh, the test team for that uh, semi-final and there was an all-in brawl which was a, was a cracker uh, uh, and there was a few blokes... Um, uh, suffered uh, some uh, pretty significant sort of... Um, uh, 
bruises and uh, lacerations post that. So um, it just exploded at, at the training session because it was was there was that much underlying feeling to that test match. And I've got to say, leaving the dressing room that day, heading out to the field, I had no doubt we were going to uh, wake the All Blacks. There was just an incredible belief and uh, determination that it will be team. Oh, that's fantastic. It was a, is it a fantastic test match? But let's move forward another week now, and you're, you're going into the grand final now uh, up against England. This would be end up being your last test, and I assume at this stage you would you knew this would be your last test, Simon. And how did that? How was your lead up? How was your preparation? Did you approach things differently, knowing this would be the last time you'd pull on the Wallaby jersey? Uh, it was. It was. Um, I suppose a significant sort of. Event in the in the uh, 24 hours leading up to get getting into London was um, ourselves and the All Blacks were meant to leave leave at um, different times from Dublin Airport on that Sunday, and uh, for some reason the All Black plane got delayed. So we walked into the terminal and to see the All Black side um, heading to Wales for the uh, third fourth playoff, um, both was quite sad because I had a lot of mates on that side yeah. and uh, you could see the disappointment in them but um, also to relief from us that we're going to London and when we landed in London I think the uh, overriding thing was people starting to realise this was this was really big. Uh, London's a, a great city, great world city. The place was uh, was really uh, pumping and you could just see there was one game in town that was a World Cup final and um, I think one of the the real sort of messages coming out of the team was, okay, we're just going to shut ourselves behind closed doors. We're not going to be out seen anywhere. We're not going to give expose ourselves to the uh, to the Fleet Street press because they'll look for a chink in the oven, and look for someone to be doing some, something silly. And uh, we had a a really below the radar settled um, preparation that week. And I always remember that that night before uh, the World Cup final was probably the best night's sleep I've had in my oh, life. And I was I was um, I was rooming with Rob Edgerton, who was uh, the fantastic winger. Yeah, we um, had him on the series earlier. Extraordinary right, the time, yeah. yeah. So um, myself and AJ uh, were uh, were sharing this massive bloody uh, room in this hotel, and um, it was just uh, the most peaceful preparation. And again. Coming to the ground the next next day because you drive through all the you know the various picnickers around the place in the uh, in the back car park and they were giving it to us and it was just the best preparation and to say come on just keep it coming keep it coming very you know, there was absolutely uh, rivers of arrogance coming through that uh, the car park <laughs> arrogance that's great <laughs> and um, again sort of leaving that uh, that dressing room. At Twickenham was such strong, uh, strong belief in in our side. It wasn't a great Test match. World Cup finals in any sport yep. often aren't. <clears throat> but I think the overriding statistic, which um, really comes to the fore, is that I think we had about 33 percent possession uh, during that Test match, and it was a situation where you had a number of ten on the other side who kick goals from virtually everywhere on the field. Uh, that any any um, situation which uh, we thought was marginal. We let the English have the ball because they had this fantastic defence, and we just built them. Yeah, and uh, that just happened the whole game. Yeah, fantastic. Look, uh, I want two more questions of you, Simon, if I may. It's, I want to look now at this year's tournament. Um, ninety-one was obviously so successful. We won in ninety-nine. Do you think we're a chance to 
win in 2015? And if so, what do we need to improve on from last year's uh, season tour? Well, I think we're, we're in a fantastic position from the point of view of, you know, many in the rugby world have written us off, which is, which is fantastic. Australian science yep. react very well to that uh, sort of status. Um, I think at nine to one, um, we're very, very attractive uh, odds, even though we're in the toughest pool in the in the you know yep. World Cup upcoming. Um, we fix out our scrum. Uh, we're going to give this World Cup a big, big shake. And yeah, you know, Michael Checker knows that. I think you'll see some potential left field <laughs> selections in this uh, World Cup squad. He'll he'll look for. Um, a scrum which um, which is going to at least hold parity, and if you hold, if we hold parity, we're going to really uh, create havoc in this World Cup because the rest of our game will be will be above, I think, many of the uh, the playing styles over there. Michael will um, will believe in that um, in the uh, the running style, but you know, as we saw on. Sunday night against the Crusaders, uh, they actually bashed the Crusaders. They really hurt the Crusaders, and that's the physicality that uh, Michael Checker wants from all the players on the field with his team. So I think the physicality of the side takes the World Cup. Uh, we will be a much improved um, scrum. I think uh, Ledesma will probably uh, take that role from right, the point yeah. of view of coaching coming the World Cup. And yeah, for those who spent many many uh, months touring uh, the UK, France, and other parts of Europe, uh, the scrum is all about technique. It's all about uh, the tricks they get away with. So you need someone like uh, Ledesma who understands those tricks to get players in place to get through that uh, that um, part of the game. Yeah, fantastic. Now my final question is is now position specific about uh, our two, I guess, flanker positions, uh, open and blind or left and right. Who would you pick for the Wallaby World Cup team? Uh, it's it's going to be uh, horses for courses. I think right. that um, Michael Michael Hooper's just just been the form exceptional uh, flanker this year. He's not as good on on the on the ball as uh, David Pocock, and it's great to see David Pocock back. Yep. He brings a whole different perspective to the game to Michael Hooper, but you watch the way the Waratahs will play and the way the Wallabies will play. You, you've got to have a back rower of uh, Michael Hooper, a Liam Gill, who can uh, run the ball and run the ball the ball at speed. Pocock's worked that out, and you see he's, he's lifted that part of his game quite dramatically, but at the end of the day, Michael Hooper, um, you know, beats beach sprint champion his younger days out there, he has got natural speed, yeah. which which both Pocock and Gill don't have. They just can't match him on that. Is he as good at the, the, the breakdown on the ball? No, he's not. Um, but uh, I think there's an opportunity here for uh, for Michael Checker to, to uh, if he's got three other line-out jumpers that uh, can carry the, the workload out there, there's no reason you, you wouldn't some, at some stages see um, both Pocock and Hooper on the field at the same time. Excellent. Okay, fantastic. Look, Simon, we're going to let you go. Really appreciate your time. We know you're a busy man. Um, I just want to close on saying, Simon, I have my greatest childhood memories and the ones I hold on to as remembering the golden age of Australian rugby is yourself uh, running on to the SCG to face the All Blacks in the old gold Adidas three stripes jersey. It, it keeps me warm at nights in these days when I think professional rugby has taken over but it's um, a thrill to have you on board as a 91 World Cup winner and uh, to gain your insights on that tournament and how our chances might be later this year. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thanks Simon. See you later. Cheers. 
there, right there. Thanks again to uh, Simon Portovan for giving us this time this week for our chat. It, it's It's been great to hear the such casual and insightful discussion of these big moments that are really some of the most significant in Australian rugby history, uh, to hear these legends of the game talking about those behind-the-scenes stories. And remember, if that kind of thing's your bag, then don't forget the Queensland Reds' long lunch. It's on the 16th of July this year. I can speak from first-hand experience on this one. These are great events. They they very slickly run, sensational video pieces, and obviously great guests. Uh, the chance to hear Sir Graham Henry up against uh, Bob Dwyer for this event is pretty special. You throw on the lights of Campo, Tuni, and Bobby Skinstad, and it's going to be a great event. Uh, now I've got some guests of my own now, perhaps not quite in the same class as those guys, but uh, a few less World Cup wins, but significant just the same. Hugh Cavill, welcome back, Hugh. How are you, mate? Oh look, I'm I'm feeling a bit under the weather, Reg, but uh, I'm channeling Tim Horan in 1999. I'm I'm, I'm off my sick bed, and and uh, I can assure you, I'm, I'm going to put in a belter. Excellent. I expect a best on ground performance then. And it's been a while, but we've got Will McDougall back. Will, how are you, mate? Very well, thanks, Reg. Good to be here. Yeah, sensational stuff. Just the three of us, nice and intimate tonight. But it's uh, it's great to have you on the show again. And I guess uh, we're going to get into the Super Rugby stuff soon. But it's it's a Rugby World Cup year, and we've obviously been getting pretty excited about it. Uh, each week as we hear these great stories. And I thought it might be good, you know, let's move away from these legends and their Rugby World Cup memories and maybe have a chat about some of our standout memories, guys, and, and not so much the stuff on the field, Campo's trial, that sort of stuff, but, you know, any other particular memories you might have from a, a previous World Cup? Hugh, what, what about you? Well, my one was um, quite recent, I suppose, in, in 2011, and, and those uh, long-time readers of the site uh, may be aware that I was lucky enough to be over there with a few of, of the gaggers, Matt, and uh, Timsey, but uh, on this night it, it was after the quarterfinal, and and me and a mate had been obviously, and were having a, having a few beers after the game at, at a local uh, night spot, and uh, wandered, you know, it was a two story, but I wandered downstairs into a quiet corner with a few of us just to catch up about the game, and and you know it, we thought the place was kind of petering out at that point, but um, in walks um, Ben Alexander and, and Stephen Moore, and so we thought, oh, this is fantastic, we have got a couple of Wallabies here, and. We'd had a few beers at this point. We weren't too uh, under the weather, but uh, went over and started having a chat, and obviously we just won the quarterfinal, so it was a pretty uh, upbeat kind of mood. Um, they weren't necessarily in a, in a partying mood, but just uh, kicking back after the game. And then a few more guys came in, Sharpie and Rocky Elsom, and they kind of gravitated over to this corner where we were, and Digby Iwani and, and Robbie Deans and Quaid, I seem to remember, and a few other guys started coming in and all sort of seeing the teammates and, uh, in this corner, and me and my mate had just kind of happened to be caught up in the middle of it. Um, and uh, at this point, one of the bar staff kind of realised what was happening and that all the team were assembling, so saw this corner and kind of roped it off, uh, you know, not wanting members of the public to uh, to kind of be in there and get in there and make nuisances of themselves, but they didn't realise that me and my mate were firmly <laughs> behind the door at this point. <laughs> and uh, we were there for a couple of hours, and, and it was a really great night. I mean, wasn't a particularly late one or, or raucous one, but it was little things like getting in. I got into rounds with Sharpie, and you know the, the players were so generous with their time and willing for, uh, willing to have a chat. So yeah, it's a, it's a pretty hard memory to erase that one. It was it was a real uh, great moment. That's a cracker. Will you were saying earlier you've got a good memory of was it O three a, a player experience, but maybe not quite as intimate. Yeah, not not quite as good as Hugh's story, but uh, I remember being out in uh, Sydney on a um, Wednesday night. I think it was in. Uh, just after sort of the pool games in um, 2003 and we're down at Cargo Bar 
And uh, in walked the whole Tongan team, who'd, uh, I think they had a pretty dismal World Cup from memory, losing all three games, and uh, or was it three games or four games? Yeah, but they, were, they had a pretty poor um, tournament. Um, but they walked into the bar, but most of them didn't get very far because uh, it seemed like uh, all their mates worked on security, so they were all hanging out at the uh, entrance. <laughs> easy to get in, just not so easy yeah. to get a drink. Yeah. So. <laughs> Look, I, uh, I've got great memories. My memory is not to do with... I never had these this close first-hand experience with the players like you guys did. I remember back, and I'm, I guess I'm the oldest here, so I should go back a little further, and I remember the 95 World Cup, obviously, over in South Africa. And this was the first one that was really, you know, such a mammoth event. It actually, uh, you know, I, I think it really set it on the global stage. So it was a grand final. Obviously, the Aussies weren't playing. It was New Zealand versus South Africa. We're all over at Mate's Place watching it over there, and I, I think we're actually supporting New Zealand, which is quite strange, but I guess it was South Africa they were playing, and, you know, we all got up and did the harker and stuff. But I remember after the game, and we'd had a few drinks at this stage, particularly excited for no apparent reason. Again, you know, we're neutrals here. But a mate of mine and I decided that it was appropriate that we should, should call um, the South Africans and congratulate them. So we got on to International Directory and, and looked up, got up the number for Ellis Park and somehow managed to get <laughs> the main number and eventually and asked oh, we try, put on this sort of uh, lethal weapon-esque type South African accident and try to get our way through to the to the, the change room and kept asking for um, Joel Stransky and Francois Pinar um, I don't think we got that far we, we got onto some garbled South African but we, we uh, <laughs> it, was, it was a great <laughs> endeavour at least even if it wasn't rewarded and, and then went out that night to nightclubs in Brisbane and, and proceeded to call everyone Barley Swart who was the uh, Springbok front rower for the rest of the night so <laughs> great night so I, I just love these events these big event experience whether you're you're at them first hand or you're watching them on tv it's um it's wonderful stuff and it's i can't wait for this year's uh world cup to to roll again so plenty to look forward to but still a few more rounds of super rugby to get to uh before we get there in the first aussie team um Plenty of focus still on the provincial stuff, and as it should be, we've got some uh, teams definitely in contention here. So let's go through round 15's results. First up, uh, the Chiefs down in the Bulls, 34-20 to 20 there, and, and yeah, I think that pretty much went the way we anticipated. Um, this one, uh, I can't remember what we picked. I'm, I was sure we probably all tipped the Reds last week, but the Reds went down to the Sharks, 14-21 uh, to 21 in, in what was a, you know, a rather a poor performance by the Reds. Plenty of turnovers still, uh, plenty of um, uh, missed tackles. Uh, the opportunity to, I guess, bounce back or, or continue on from the, the great win versus the Rebels the week before was lost. Just didn't, weren't able to maintain that momentum. We, we never really had it on the field. Plenty of opportunities uh, gone. Uh, even the try we scored, fantastic try, um, ultimately to Chris Kurandrani. Uh, his first Super Rugby try, um, you know, still looks still did a great flying effort from end to end, but you know a bit of drop ball there as well. So uh, down 16, seven and a half time, and I guess one of those crucial moments being when um, we're just down by the two points and uh, that infamous kick by James O'Connor uh, straight into the hands of uh, the, the 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 Sharks number nine there, who was injured and getting back in position, was able to fall across the line and and score that pretty crucial try. Um, and once again, the, any hope the Reds have of, of, of some sort of, you know, potentially positive in, end of the season or even another sort of glimmer of hope, we we're looking for a dynasty two games in a row, um, was not to happen. Will, you get to see much of this game at all? Or? Yeah, I watched this on, on the Friday night. And, uh, yeah, agree with you, uh, 
pretty much across the board. I thought the Kuradrani try was was something special. Um, probably the best try the Reds have scored all season, at least that I can remember. Um, and then you felt great at that point, uh, a kind of kick conversion from the sideline, and uh, you're sort of right back in the game. And um, but yeah, the, obviously the um, James O'Connor kick was the uh, sort of big turning point. Oh, talking point rather, but I, I kind of felt at that point that the Reds were sort of trailing off and were, were sort of struggling to to um, sort of probably have the impetus to win the game. But um, yeah, look, probably a bit better than it was early in the season for the Reds, but it's still still not good. But um, Karevi certainly had a, a really good game and um, he's going great guns. So. His stats are astronomical in terms of, I mean, he's... Uh, scoring tries almost at will at the moment, but the metres he's making and the and the defenders he's beating uh, are quite substantial. And yeah, people point to his his defence. I don't think it's as bad as people say. He does get caught out of position sometimes. He's only young. I mean, he's he's a he's a man mountain, but he's a, still pretty young. So plenty to learn. Whether he's uh, a chance for World Cup squad later in the year, we'll see. But uh, a, a very dangerous player and, and clearly um, a critical part of uh, the Reds' game plan. Um, Hugh, all this uh, love of John Conley was a short-lasted affair, just just the week. Oh yeah, it always was going to be. I mean, Knuckles, you know, God love him. He, he's not a he's not a magician, and and certainly everyone knew that a lasting difference was not going to be made in two weeks. It's interesting. I'd like to think hear what you guys think about James O'Connor because you know it's funny those two moments, the the two lightning yeah. rod moments of the game. Firstly, that kick, and then secondly, the argument with Adam Thompson. I mean, I think if it was. Uh, you know, young McIntyre or some some other player, you know, that hadn't had track record that O'Connor had. I think you'd much be much more likely to shrug off the kick as a, you know, just one of those things. And the argument is just a bit of passion in the sheds. But you know, with O'Connor having the record that he has, all of these things kind of get blown out to um to real talking points, you know. And I think you know that's obviously no one's fault but his own. But it, you know, it, it does kind of detract from the overall game a bit. Yeah. Look. James's history is well known, and he brings somewhat of it upon himself. All this talk about Brand O'Connor, which, albeit, is probably many years ago, um, I, I don't think he's played as badly as many people have said. I think he's looked dangerous for us uh, in attack. Uh, the kick was unfortunate, and, and there's no really talking around it. But, geez, one of the things I noticed about it was so he was pretty much, you know, we we're at what, 30 metres from the sideline, five metres from a try line. Um, he was effectively behind the ruck, or maybe even a bit. On the blind, there was no Reds players in front of him. You know, you usually have these couple of pillars there who at least try to slow down the the um, the defenders running through. There was no one there, so there was just the structure's wrong. That's I'm not saying that would have you know wouldn't have happened. He probably would have hit one of our defenders in the back of the head, but just shows you that it's you know you can't blame James. You can blame James for that, but there's much more than this James that's uh, at fault with that. Um, system at the moment. And as for the little tater-tate with Thompson at halftime, God, mate, that must happen all the time. I mean, Poito just spoke about a full-on brawl, you know, the week before the Rugby World Cup grand final back in 91 between the the reserves and the uh, starting team. And, you know, that was enough to get them... Or before the All Black game, sorry. That was enough to get them all fired up. So, you know, th- these things happen. I remember they were happening back in Ewan's day as well. It's not just a, a current day thing. It's how they bounce back. So, oh. we'll and, and it's at all levels too, Reg. I played a game, you know, my fourth-grade sub team on the weekend. And, you know, just before half-time, a half-back, half-back kicked when I think he should have passed. And... You know, had a few exchange of words, and I, you know, maintain to this day that Derek should have definitely thrown the ball. But 
you know, at all levels of rugby, these these things happen in, you know, in the heat of the moment. The fourth know? grade subbies uh, podcast special happens once we get the Rugby World Cup won over with, okay? So that's still about <laughs> five weeks away till we start talking about that, all right? So let, let's keep it at the professional level for the time being. <laughs> Um, all right, well, let's let's move on to the next game, uh, which I'm sure we'll get more. Well, does that mean we can't talk about the Reds either? Is that... Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that, that's below the belt. Move on. That's below the belt. I've got yeah, a better yeah. one for the Reds, but I'll save that till later. <laughs> exactly. Until they're not sponsoring us anymore. Um, uh, <laughs> the next game, the Hurricanes blew away the Blues, uh, 29-5. to uh, Before we moved on to uh, this fantastic match, which which was the grand final replay, uh, the Waratahs and the Crusaders, 32-22. to 22. Uh, Will, why don't you lead us off here, mate? What do you think of this performance? A pretty damn good one. Oh, it was excellent from uh, as a Waratahs fan. Um, yeah, the, uh, they really just fronted up and in sort of in every facet and uh, brought the physicality, and that was probably the difference. Um, it's sort of it's probably not often that they really you really see a side, or particularly an Australian side. Uh, be so physical in the forwards um, compared to uh, the Crusaders, really. But, um, I don't think they knew what hit them. And uh, look, there's been a bit of talk during the week, and we'll get to it later about the uh, the Waratahs maybe taking a bit too far with Will Skelton and Tolu Latu. But um, yeah, it was the physicality was impressive, and it was sort of the backbone of a really good win. So yeah, and Hugh, what are your thoughts on it, mate? Yeah, well, I think they got back to the hallmarks of that their performances last year, which yep. was really quick line speed, physical, aggressive defence and great forward ball running. And that was what the, the win was built on. Guys like Kepu and Skelton and Latu and Paddy Ryan off the bench and Dave Dennis, you know, really putting in those those big runs, sort of, you know, two or three off the ruck and, and really pushing, you know, getting in the Crusaders' face. I mean, I will say, I watched the game again, you know, uh, just before and, the Crusaders aren't what they used to be. I, I think it's, yeah, not, it's easy not. to get carried away. But, I mean, I was watching it at the at the pub with a, a Kiwi friend of mine, and he was amazed that the Waratahs kept, you know, amazed with two things. Firstly, that the Waratahs kept kicking down the throat of the Crusaders' back three. And secondly, that the Crusaders were completely inept at, at running the ball back. Yeah. And in, in days gone past, you know, you'd never kick to the Crusaders' back three. It was a – you were signing your own death warrant. But – uh you know, this Crusaders team could, could barely do anything with it. And and to be honest, I think the Waratahs would be kicking themselves they let them back in the game like they did because um, they, they had it all over them and, and uh, really probably should have won by a little bit more. Yeah, right, because it, it was 25-22 or so before McCaw was sinbin with about 10 to go and then obviously Foley scored that late try. I think that was right. So, yeah, yeah you're right. The, the Crusaders came well back into it, which shows, you know, that there's still a bit of class there in that team. But... Uh, a, a wonderful, wonderful performance by the Waratahs. Uh, I thought Izzy Falau. Uh, you, you're right. The forwards, the the strong run. They are the guys that won that game. Um, but it was great to see Falau back, um, sort of uh, running amongst it as well. I think comparing the Reds to to the um, Waratahs at the moment. I mean, one of the things you said, Reg, that sort of work off the ball element. And I, yeah. although I didn't see the Reds game. Uh, this week, it's certainly been the hallmark of their season, and it's what the Waratahs have been struggling with. But, but I thought in that game, the amount of times that you know you'd, you'd see a ruck, and it'd, it'd go to one side of the field, and then you pan back, and all the forwards had got themselves in alignment, and the, and and then the next the next phase would go, and then on the other side, they're all being in alignment as well, and they were obviously really working hard off the ball, and, and I thought it really paid dividends. And again, that that's that stuff that they need to be doing, and that they weren't doing against the Force and the Stormers and those sort of teams. Well, yeah, to carry on, sorry, yep, you go yeah, on, to mate. carry on from Hugh's point, like I think one of the reasons they probably got away with uh, sort of kicking straight down the field and things like that is just how hard they were working. Like they really 
were rushing up hard in defence and up in a line and generally made territory off their their kicks up the field. Um, was sort of quite a, a clear tactic that they, they didn't want to play at their end, so they they were willing to kick it and back their defence to sort of, I guess, force the Crusaders to to go nowhere in their own half and then kick it back to them sort of thing and and sort of slowly make some territory. So, yeah, the, the defence was good, but, yeah, certainly could improve because the Crusaders, as, as you both said, aren't, aren't the force they used to be. So um, Tars are going to need to be better if they want to uh, get the chocolates this year. Yeah, look, another name I want to mention, uh, you know, without singling out players, and we'll have to sometime soon, maybe want this Rugby World Cup podcast finishes, pick our own team, go, you know, be act selectors for the, for the podcast. But a guy that, when you're on the forum, you know, he's sort of mentioned, but without any great deal of certainty, is, is Rob Horn. Um, and, you know, we, I think we've all recognised the wing position is, is one that's caused a little bit of consternation this year, and, and with uh, form... You know, questionable from some, and you know, does Drew Mitchell come back in the factor, and and all this sort of stuff? But Horn, week in, week out, is one of the best Waratah performances, isn't it? Performers, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, he's so solid in all facets, isn't he? I mean, that defence, uh, and and he's a lot quicker than people think. Yeah. I mean, he, he he pounced on that loose ball and just gapped the gapped the Crusaders straight away. Uh, he has a knack of being in the right place at the right time. It's defined his career actually. And, yeah doing those basics well, and, 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 you know, we could do a lot worse. I certainly think he'll get his chance in the rugby championship. Yeah. Yeah, I, I tend to think he's he's probably pretty close to a certainty for the World Cup squad yeah. now. Um, I just think when when they come to, to picking a squad and looking at sort of it quite systematically in terms of not just their preferred team, but also what happens in the event of injuries and things like that, I reckon Horn sort of ticks a lot of boxes in terms of being one of our better wingers now, and he's also probably the third best 13 we've got and um, and a decent option at 12, 12 yeah, albeit, yeah. With a, albeit with a stri- slightly different game plan. So I think he's a very, very solid chance of being in the Rugby World Cup squad now, yep. um, just partly through that versatility. And also because there aren't really a lot of standout wingers Um you almost have to. You almost have to think he's one of the the form super rugby wingers for Australia, regardless of the other positions he can play. Yep, definitely. Look, we've uh, we've put this one off as long as we can. Uh, you know, we'll finalise with the Waratahs, and, and as we say, a great win there. But do we have to speak about this next game? The Force taking on the Highlanders over there in Perth and, and going down twenty-three to three. These force games are starting to form a bit of a, a formula, and, and hopefully it's not the same this week versus the Reds. But uh, not much to enjoy about this game, uh, Will. Yeah, they sort of stuck in it well in the first half, um, but then just sort of slowly fell out of the game in the second. And um, it's probably a pretty disappointing performance in the end. Like I think a lot of force fans would have had a lot of uh, confidence at halftime, thinking that they were they were right in it and it was there for the taking in front of their home crowd, but. Um, just sort of all slowly unraveled in the second half, and they they made some mistakes, and then eventually just sort of uh, fell out of the game. It's an interesting turnaround with this Force team, isn't it, Hugh? They don't necessarily seem too different from from last year's team, who you know surprised many, I guess. Um, but uh, they uh, they're not doing it. You know, they're, they're not turning it on this year. Just the the two wins. Yeah, it's a real shame, isn't it? And and some of those guys that made big strides forward last year, you know, your your, your junior Rasaliers and yeah. your, your Kyle Godwins have have really sort of fallen away. And and 
you know, you feel sorry for guys like Luke Morahan and, and Dane Hale at Petty, who I think are playing really well. And obviously Ben McCalman is always um, Matty Hodgson. It's it's the same sort of crew. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that those little pieces in the back line, those you know, essentially point scorers, you know, and, and although Hodgson scored a lot of tries last year, it, it um it that, that's what they're missing. And it was the same old story on Friday, on Saturday, sorry, that, that they they held the the Highlanders pretty well um, yeah. in defence, but they just couldn't rack up points of their own, despite the fact that they had plenty of ball and, and plenty of territory. But uh, yeah, it's um it's being the story of the force for the last three or four years, and, and there's still no clear answers to how they solve. Yeah, class in those halves is, is much needed, I think, unfortunately, and uh, it's not quite working at the moment. Uh, next game, the Lions demolished the Cheetahs, 40 points to 17. Um, yeah, this one, I think, they split us last week, but uh, I know I thought the Cheetahs would perform better than they did. Um and finally, the last game of the round was the Stormers uh, downing the Rebels, 31-15. to 18-7 at the half, but the Stormers ran away with it in the end. And uh, there was uh, not quite a James O'Connor kick, but uh, Pat Liafa kick uh, pass uh, straight to his Dylan Leeds, who strolled over for an easy try, which was a bit of a turning point in this game as well. Um, lads, any comment on this game or what you saw? Not a lot, really. Like, I, I must admit, I've only seen the highlights, but yeah, it just seemed like a couple of sort of pretty awful errors by the Rebels sort of um, just uh, killed, their, killed their chances. Yeah. Um, they, they worked hard to pick themselves back into the game, but a bit like the Reds, but then around half time, as I say, a couple of those soft errors on either side kind of, kind of killed them off. And, and the Stormers at home, you know, you need everything to go your way. Um, and so. Yeah, I mean the Rebels will be looking at this Sharks game this week as a real target game because, um, yeah, they 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 would love to finish the season on a on a big high, winning in South Africa. Yeah, absolutely. And that wraps up the round. And with the Brumbies having the bye, it means that Waratahs are now the number one Aussie team in the conference, sitting there in second spot behind the Hurricanes and ahead of the Stormers, uh, Chiefs, Highlanders, and Brumbies uh, rounding off that top top six. So. Uh, great, the two Aussies are still in that top six and the Waratahs starting to uh, reproduce some of that form from last year. Hopefully it'll continue on. Now it's time for these burning questions. And we've got five this week, back to the full five. So lads, let's get to it. Uh, make your responses to the point and uh, I'll time you and I'll cut you off when it's appropriate. Uh, first question, NRC is due. The draw is due this week or next, I believe. What's your expectations? Give us one hope or expectation for the tournament this year, Hugh. Uh, keeping it brief and being a little parochial, I hope the Sydney teams perform better. Um, uh, you know, the, I thought they were the real disappointment of the comp last year, and I, I'd be looking for you know the Rays, especially to, to really come good um, with the class they've got, sort of around floating around Sydney. Will, what about yourself, mate? I would have said much the same thing. So um, to come up with something different, um, let, let's say look to. Uh, Beat the number that they had this year of uh, Super Rugby contracts that come out of uh, from the NRC. Good stuff, mate. With the number of players leaving the country at the end of this year, you'd think that's a good chance of that happening. So yeah, you'd hope a, so. It's a good goal. Okay, number two. Talk talk about players leaving. It, it seems closer and closer by the day that Quade Cooper will confirm that he's leaving the Reds. I did a little blog post earlier this week uh, that I've called it the biggest loss to the Reds of the professional age. Uh, do you agree? If not, who do you think is Will? Yeah, I definitely think he is. Like, I think it's um, it's 
due to everything he brings to the game, both on and off the field. Yep. Like he's been both um, a special player for the Reds on the field, but he's also kind of, um, at least as far as the fans are concerned, the heart and soul of of the Reds um, in terms of their their image. Their sort of, I guess the the um, reputation they've got for how they play rugby and things like that is all really off the back of Quade Cooper. So um, it, for those reasons, he's going to be an incredibly uh, difficult player to replace and um, must be the biggest player that like they've ever lost. Um, yep. Hugh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I'm heartbroken. I, you know, when Quade came back for those, what, one or two games early in the year, you, you don't realise it until he's gone and you see him back again and, and you realise you just sit... You just sit that little bit forward and, you know, whenever he gets the ball, just flats to the line and bullets those passes off. I'm, I'm going to miss him. Yeah, big time. Well, hopefully he's back this weekend. I, I believe he will be back in the Reds team for this weekend, so let's see what he can do over there in Perth. Uh, number three, now this one will get you guys pumping. Were Will Skelton and Tolu Latu's suspensions fair? Hugh, let's go to you. Uh, Latu, yes. Skelton, no. I thought Skelton was probably the, the unlucky one there. Uh, maybe deserved a week because he probably did lift him up, but um, I think Latu was the one that was capable lifting the legs like that. Um, I thought he was fair. You know, even though Whitelock didn't land on his head, um, you know, off after the whistle like that, just, yeah, no, you can't do that these days. All right, Will? Um, yeah, I'm much the same as Hugh. I think Skelton's uh, suspension was was probably unfair, and Lata's was probably was reasonable. Um, I tend to think, and this is pure speculation, that Waratahs didn't go about um, the whole process very well. Um, no one knows what they were offered in terms of uh, suspensions if they pleaded guilty without a hearing. But um, it would have seemed to me that like they should have just copped Lata's on the chin, thinking would have got less than four weeks with an early guilty plea and, and challenged Skelton's because um, they've done they've done poorly on Skelton in that um, generally that second player in the lifting tackles deemed not to have uh, not to have contributed to it and caused it so they they get away without out suspension so I think Skelton was pretty unlucky and look as hopefully they uh, Waratahs have some success on his appeal but um, yeah largely seemed fair enough like if you look it up it's uh, the entry point for a low-grade lifting tackle is four weeks. So um, it was if you challenge it and you found guilty, which you, he was, you're always going to receive something like that. So, um, yeah, life yeah. is fair, Scotland's not. Yeah, it will be interesting. I think the appeal's happening Thursday afternoon, so we'll find out soon enough. But one of the byproducts of this is that uh, I think Will Scotland will tour with New South Wales, but one man who's also touring is the prodigal son and Dean Mum who will meet the team over there for the Waratahs and you'd expect he'll get some game time soon enough. Uh, will he go on and play for the Wallabies this year, do you reckon, Hugh? So hard to say, but I, I, I'll say no. Oh, you know what? No, scrap it. I'll say yes. Apparently, I've been reading the hype around his form for Exeter. Apparently, you know, he's an all, you know, all-time form. Uh, second row is a position where I think we're pretty light and we might cycle through some options. He might not be on the plane for the World Cup but he might well get a run off the bench. Interesting. Will? Um, I'm going to say no. I think he'll make the first Wallaby squad and um, get to spend a fair a bit of time with the team. But, um, yeah, I don't think he'll quite get there. Like, I tend to think Luke Jones's form will be too hard to resist in a, in a very similar sort of, I guess, role of a, of a lock who, can, who also plays six. So, um yeah, I think we will see him for the Waratahs probably off the bench this weekend, so we'll get a bit of an idea of how his 
forms travelling, but he'll also... It's probably got to be difficult stepping straight into a side you haven't played for for three years and um, might have never met the coach. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Well, interesting, I think it was named captain in one of the... Uh, whatever tournament he plays for, tournament team of the year. Um, so forms there. It'll be interesting to see how we go, how he translates that to Super Rugby and then potentially international rugby. All right, final question, guys. Back to the Rugby World Cup. Looks like Ireland are going to put in a bid to host the 2023 Rugby World Cup. I think the other bid is at this stage. This is all a process that's happening at the moment. Uh, the USA and potentially Argentina, I believe. Where would you like to see it go, Will? Where would you like to see it? Look, I'd, like, I'd like to see it come back to Australia. Um yep. It, in terms of sort of alternating northern hemisphere and stuff, it seems like it, it should go back to the southern hemisphere in 2027. So, um, yeah, hopefully we put in a bid. But um, otherwise, I guess one of the emerging countries like USA or something would be pretty, or Canada would be pretty good. So, um, yeah, I think it's sort of a bit of a destination event for fans and stuff. So somewhere interesting would be good. Um, yep. Yeah. Hugh, what do you think? Oh, Argentina for sure. Yeah. I mean, it'd be a great trip over there. Great for I mean, it's not too far from Australia. Ireland, you know, you know, that Isles have had it so many times. I mean, give someone else a run. Go over Argentina. We can drink red wine and eat steak for for three weeks and, and have a great time. Yeah, long ways of pointers though. <laughs> exactly. <right. laughs> Well, let's hope the uh, uh, World Rugby are listening because uh, that uh, bid has just won me. Thank you, Hugh. Excellent stuff, guys. And listeners, remember to uh, post your responses in the comments section to the blog post. We want to hear from you. What's your thoughts on, on our burning questions? All right, let's look ahead to round 16, guys, and uh, we'll run through these games and get your thoughts uh, and tips as we go through. First game, Crusaders versus the Hurricanes at Nelson, Trafalgar Park there. What a cracker this is going to be, Hugh. What do you think? Yeah, well, geez, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll go Hurricanes every time I've tipped them this year, and I, I think, I think except when they played the Waratahs, obviously. But, um, yeah, it, it, I think I think this is the this is the year for them, and I think the Crusaders are, are on their last legs. So, um, you know, you never wise to be against the Crusaders, but... Um, why is it something I've really been caught on this site? So uh, let's go with the Hurricanes. Uh, what about you, Will? Yeah, I'm going to tip a very big Hurricanes victory, actually. I think the Crusaders uh, could fall apart here. They've lost Kieran Reid, Sam Whitelock, Colin Slade. Um, there could be big trouble there, I think. Like, I think the Hurricanes could absolutely smash them. Yeah, scary stuff. All right. The other game that night will be the Brumbies hosting the Bulls down. In, oh, sorry. Incidentally, I'll, I'll support that. I'll, I'll say the Hurricanes for a fair bit as well. So back to the Brumbies versus the Bulls at Canberra. Um, will, what's your thoughts here, mate? I, I think the Brumbies will get up. I think I don't think the Bulls have been that great this year, and the Brumbies are strong at home. And, um, yeah, I think, they'll, I think they'll do the job uh, quite comfortably there. So, um, yeah, can't see, can't see an upset there. I think the Brumbies will be too too good and too consistent. What about you, Hugh? Hugh, the Brumbies at home? Yeah, they're, they're generally pretty good bets, the Brumbies at home, and the Bulls, I think, lost uh, Jan, Jan Surfontaine today yep. um, to injury, so that's that's a big blow for them. So, you know, I, I'd expect the Brumbies to, to see it out, but um, won't roll off the Bulls. I thought they were pretty solid against the Chiefs last week. All right, good stuff. Uh, yeah, I'll back the Brumbies as well. Uh, I, I agree. I think they'll, they should do it at home there. The Bulls haven't uh, impressed too many this season as yet. Uh, late Friday night, the Rebels will be travelling. to. Well, they'll travel there already, but they'll be playing the Sharks at Durban. Um, 
Will, you alluded to, you reckon there might be a chance for this one? Um, yeah, I think the Rebels are a good shot here. Um, hopefully, they've sort of got a pretty full strength, close to full strength side. Um, quite a few of their players are playing well, and the Sharks are missing an awful lot of players to injury and stuff and having a poor season. So, look, I hope the Rebels, Rebels play well and win. Um, you never know in South Africa, though. You sometimes watch these games and the, the away team just never seems to get into it and um, really doesn't put in a good performance. Um, so let's hope that's not the case this uh, late Saturday night. Yep, correct. Hugh, what about you? Oh, sorry, yeah, that's Friday Sharks, night, actually. Yeah, Friday night, that's right. Saturday morning. The, the Sharks, I think, are, are, have been a bit unlucky and they proved last week that they're, they're, they're by no means gone from the season. I mean, they are you know in finals terms, but... They're still sticking around, pushing on. Um, you got to think the Rebels are a chance back home. You know, with the Sharks coming back home, might take some time to adjust. Um, I'll tip the Sharks just, but um, hoping the Rebels can get up. Yeah, I'll back the Rebels here. I think they can do it this round. I think the Sharks, uh, uh, you know, long trip home. The the Rebs will be over there and uh, ready for them. And I just get that feeling they're a different team this year, though. Disappointing last week for the Stormers, or would be disappointed with their performance, and uh, hopefully they'll bounce back uh, this week versus the Sharks. Uh, then on Saturday evening, the Highlanders will host the Chiefs at uh, Rugby Park Stadium in Invercargill. Uh, Hugh, thoughts on this one? This that, is, I mean, uh, this is the game of the round. Yeah, this has been this sensational. Is, I yeah. mean, uh, both both sides, you know, will be right there at the pointy end of the of the season. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. This is this is a tough one. I think I might uh, just go with the uh, I'll say the Chiefs uh, class proven class team at finals time. All right, Will. What about you? Um, I'm I'm going to go for the Highlanders. Uh, I think Invercargill is a pretty hard ground, hard uh, place for um, an away team to win, and um, Highlanders are playing pretty well. Um, I think they'll get up. And this is a big game though because I think. Um, these two sides could quite easily finish fourth and fifth on the ladder and play yeah. each other in um, round one of the uh, finals, and um, whoever wins this game could end up hosting it. So, yeah, this is yeah, it's a big one, isn't it? Four versus five. Jeez, it's hard. I, I, I lean towards the Chiefs. I think I've tipped them the last few games. They haven't necessarily done me right every game, but uh, I'm going to stick with them to uh, to yeah, whether you call it an upset, but, but at the Highlanders' home ground, I'll go the Chiefs. Uh, so that was four versus five. Let's look at fourteen versus fifteen. Should be just as exciting this one. Fours versus Reds. What about this over there in uh, NIB Stadium? Um, I think what's the points differential? These guys. Reds are negative one hundred sixty-two. Force negative one hundred six. This should be special. Hugh. I think you had it right there. You just should have cut yourself off. What's the point? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's harsh to both teams because there isn't a lot to play for. These guys. Wallaby selections on the line, and and a lot of blokes are really on the cusp of that squad, that initial squad, and. And these performances really count. Um, I, I mean, the Reds got up over the force. or No, they didn't, did they? They lost, didn't they? Yeah, they yeah. did. No, the Reds won earlier this season. That's right. That was a dire game yeah, as well. Yep. Well, look, let's hope for a free-flowing game and the force can unleash their backs a few times and we can see the Honey Badger come yep. back to form. I'll tip the force at home, um, but only just. Will? Yeah, I'm going to go the same. Force at home uh, should be too good, but... Um, Look, let's hope both teams relax a bit and um, and just sort of, uh, I guess, realise that there's hopefully a bit of pressure release and sort of uh, have a bit of a go because it'd be good to see see a bit of uh, running rugby played and um, 
yeah, like I think, as you said, there's wallaby spots on the line and um, hopefully people really put in and uh, who knows, this could be a, surpri- a surprisingly good game. Let's hope so. I, I don't think it will be. Look, not that it won't be a good game, but I, and I don't think the pressure will be released. This is a big game for these guys and, and let's make no mistake, it's the, I'm not overstate things, it's the wooden spoon, but that's pretty vital for both these guys. There are significant bragging rights to these te- against these two teams. This rivalry has started to build up quite significantly. We had it in the past, obviously, when the likes of Sharpie and, and all those sorts of guys uh, left the Reds to go there. But, you know, the, the Force were e- easy beats for a while and the Reds had the wood over them. The recent couple of years, the Force has started to fight back and, and, and won some really good contests versus the Reds. Now, the Reds did get up earlier this year and the, the Force would not have liked that. It's one of the Reds' only wins of the year. I reckon this will be a very intense game. Still hoping they'll be, uh, you know, somewhat free running. I know that is the Reds are, are trying to play that way. Uh, Force, I don't quite see, see them doing the same thing, but I, I don't think the pressure valve will be released quite for this game. I think it'll be pretty intense. So tipping the Reds, obviously, but uh, I expect it to be uh, a fairly intense game. Uh, last two games, let's go to uh, Cape Town on Saturday night or Sunday morning our time. Stormers taking on the Cheetahs. Um, uh, what do you reckon, Hugh? Stormers. Stormers, Stormers real yeah. smokies for the competition. They've got a really easy run home, and they might just pit the task for second spot, so yeah, okay. get that week off, and if someone knocks off of the Hurricanes, well, you never know. Yeah, they might have been heist. Uh Will, what's your thoughts? Yeah, they, they should win this quite easily, um, and certainly they'll be, like, the Cheetahs play pretty fast and loose and uh, don't defend, um, don't defend uh, particularly well. So, look, um, the Storms will be looking for their rare, a rare four-try bonus point um, to, again, challenge the challenge for second spot. Yep, I'll go for you. I'm the same. Stormers all the way, and uh, interesting machinations, as Hugh pointed out there. That's, uh, it becomes a pretty important game, this one, uh, despite the fact that uh, the Cheetahs are sitting down the bottom uh, uh, third of the ladder, quarter of the ladder even. Uh, and then the last game, the Waratahs, first game in South Africa, taking on the Lions. Uh, a lot, I guess, will depend on um, what happens Thursday with the appeal. Skelton's travelling with the team, uh, Latu is not, um, uh, with Hugh Roach, and is it Parecki from Manly, the yep, other reserve hooker? Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that works out with Skelton in particular. But uh, what's your reading on this one, Will? Look, I think this is going to be a really tough game for the Waratahs. The uh, the Lions have, have been very consistent, particularly at home. And, um, yeah, they just, uh, at altitude, they, they kick a lot of points and um, and generally just defend very well. And, uh, look, I think they, um, a couple of weeks ago against the uh, Brumbies was a bit of a blip on the radar for them. They made very uncharacteristic mistakes. But uh, they're a tough team. And with a couple of losses for the Tars, I think it'll be tough. Look, I'm certainly going to tip the Waratahs and hope they're good enough, but I, th- I really think they'll have to play very well to get away with it. Uh, Hugh, you'll be between the Tars, I assume, but... Uh, well, read. you know, you can uh, assume what you want, Reg, but that uh, often exactly doesn't make you right. Doing. And, uh, no, I'm tipping the Lions here. Really? Um, and I've done some research, Reg, and, and you'll, okay. you'll appreciate this. When do you think the last time the Waratahs won their first match of their South African tour? Uh, 2011. 2009, round 12 against the Cheetahs. Um, they often start very slowly uh, over in South Africa, and um, that was when the Cheetahs were pretty horrible too. Mm. 
Um, so the Lions are a really good side, and they toured really well, and they've been flying under the radar, scoring a lot of points. It's not yep. your typical uh, South African uh, grinded-out side, and and especially with the loss of potentially Skelton and Latu, I, I'm I'm tipping the Lions to edge just in a close one. Um, I think the Tars will bounce back next week, but I, I've I've got this marked down as a game they might drop. Yeah, interesting one. It's a tough call, like you say. That's a uh... You've almost sold me there. Um, Hugh, I'll look for the hell of it. I'll go for the Lions, too. I love cheating against the... Uh, tipping against the Waratah. So, good stuff. Um, well, just uh, one little bit of trivia from yep. that game. Um, the uh, One of the, the assistant referees is Pro-Legate, or Pro-Legote, his name is. But he, uh, he once um, was assistant referee for a Tars game against the Bulls, I think, in 2011. And he uh, came on and... Uh, called for a red card against Pat O'Connor for headbutting a, a Bulls player, which was just absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> and uh, it got um, chucked out by the judiciary. Oh, and, really? Um, yeah. <laughs> so what, I can't remember. Was he red carded? Yeah, he was. So, really? Um, yeah, by um, uh, um, Craig Gilbert, So oh, right. It, it's a bit um, of a sore spot for Will because to this day he's been wearing a, an armband that says Justice for Pat. Justice for Pat. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, look, that wraps up round 16. A lot of crucial games there. You'd, you'd look at that Lions-Waratahs and that Highlanders-Chiefs. Uh, it should be absolute crackers and hopefully more great games across the round. Look, we'll wrap up, guys. Uh, I just want to wish the Aussie under-20 team uh, good luck. They've departed, uh, I think, today or yesterday off to Italy for the Junior World Championships, uh, which should be a cracker. We've got a good-looking team. As we have for a few years, let's help. They, uh, they step up and really take it to the likes of New Zealand and South Africa and England, who are traditionally the big, uh, the big challenges for this sort of tournament. Uh, Will, welcome back, mate. It's been a while. It's good to have you on board again. Cheers. Thanks for having me. And Hugh, as always, good to have you for longer than a, uh, what, two-minute rant this time. <laughs> great. Yeah, thanks, Rich. I, I say that it's great that we've got the QIU on as a sponsor, and I really encourage everyone to get, get to that uh, long lunch. Um, I've heard actually that uh, the lucky door prize is going to be the opportunity to coach the Reds in 2016. You're terrible. Um, so... <laughs> terrible. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> well, uh, well, you know. Hey, no, good one. Hate Can't to have you. a go at the sponsors. No, it's, it's great. It, I, I will say, I hope everyone does does get along because those, those lunches are fantastic events and, and it's good to support um, local rugby. Yeah, it is, mate. It's a great event. I was going to wrap it up again. So remember, the, the Reds Long Lunch, jump on our website. There'll be a link from our blog, but also redsrugby.com.au. Uh, but to everyone else, get out there, enjoy your rugby this weekend, Super Rugby, Premier Rugby, Club Rugby, whatever it is, and we'll see you next week. Yeah, right there, right there.